Welcome to the Start a Brewery podcast, where we discuss all things relating to startups, open and growing breweries from concept to execution. We are pleased to partner with All About Beer to bring you this podcast. You're joining us today for episode 16, Operational Strategy 1, Systems. I'm Laura Lodge, here with Candice Moon, and we're excited to welcome you to our ongoing podcast journey. As your hosts and founders of Start a Brewery, we both have extensive experience in our areas of specialty. Candice is the craft beer attorney, having worked with more than 500 brewery clients over time, and my background is a mix of distribution, event planning, and craft beer education. You can find more about us and our contributors, plus a whole bunch of info and resources at startabrewery.com. To begin, we appreciate today's podcast sponsor. Hey, brewery owners, looking for an untapped revenue stream? With a flat parking lot and the Harvest Hosts network of over 250,000 RVers, you could bring in an extra ten dollars to $15,000 a year. The Harvest Hosts platform connects its members to small businesses for an overnight stay. As a host, you'll open up space for at least one RVer to park for the night. In return, members patronize your business. It's no cost to become a host, and you keep all of your new earnings. Learn more by visiting harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts. This will be episode 16, still speaking from the space of building your business plan, taking a look at the overall daily, weekly, and monthly functioning of the brewery and business. How do you see your small business coming together in a coordinated, cohesive way? To break this large vision down, let's begin with the most basic of all systems in each area, accounting, the brewery, and your tap room and website. Then we can look at the importance of the information from each area coming together for the owners and management team to be able to see clear records and financials and use them to make good, solid business decisions on an ongoing basis. And for today, let's lean on the financial, analytical, and processing systems and save the meat of the management, staff training, and people components for a different conversation. As all of you know, episode 16 is continuing forward from our two-part conversation around contract brewing and alternating proprietorships with Phil Markowski of Two Roads Brewing Company, Elisa Bowens Mercado of Rhythm Brewing Company, Matthew Osterman of Sleeping Giant Brewing Company, and Jamil Zanishef, award-winning homebrewer, author, beer judge, host of the Jamil Show and Brew Strong Shows on the Brewing Network, and he's the founder of Heretic Brewing Company. Candice joined our most recent episode more as guest than host, sharing her experience around contract brewing and alternating proprietorships as well. So let's begin our discussion around the systems necessary for a brewing business to succeed. So we welcome to the table today, Mary Bretman, president of Beverage Business Builders, Ethan Tsai, PhD, who's a brewing operations consultant, and Nancy Trigg, owner of Trigg Performance Collective. I'm gonna ask each of you to, to give your own uh, bio background before we dig in. So uh, Mary, let's start with you. Hi everybody, my name is Mary Bretman. I'm president of Beverage Business Builders. I have been in the brewing space a little over 10 years now uh, as a craft brewing CFO. I've worked for a CPA firm and I've had my own independent practice coming up on 10 years now. Um, it has been a fascinating ride. I, I, I'm classically trained as an, as an accountant, but, I, but at the same token, I've always really been a advocate for owners to make sure that they understand the business world. Most, bre most brewery owners have a good idea of how to make beer, but they don't necessarily understand the basics of accounting and business. And I think that, that, that those systems have to work equally on both sides in order to understand how your business is doing. And so I teach people to fish instead of fish for them. Excellent. Uh, Ethan? Yeah, so... Um... My background is, is not traditionally in craft beer, uh, like a lot of um, PhDs that came out of the University of Colorado at Boulder system. A lot of us started life as academics and then just kind of got sucked into to craft beer. So um, originally I was a, a professor at Metropolitan State University of Denver. Uh, I helped to start the uh, beer program there. The beer and brewing operations program there. Uh, I specialized in, in quality control, quality analysis, uh, brewing operations in general. And then from there, functionally just got sidetracked. Uh, ended up taking over Tivoli Brewing Company there, 
uh, and then eventually was uh, recruited out from there to take over uh, Cigar City Brewing in Tampa uh, until the, the acquisition with Monster. So uh, my life basically is just making a brewery work. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Nancy? Awesome. Um, I'm Nancy Trigg. I am uh, the former president of Arrived at Point of Sale for the brewing industry. Um, I have been in the industry for coming up on seven years now um, and um, have about 20 years of um, business leadership experience, um, the rest of which was outside of the beer space. Um, and I've now gone out on my own as a um, growth-focused and people-focused business consultant. So I work with um, business leaders, um, executives, first-time um, managers, um, focusing on leadership skills and growth, business growth strategy. Great. Okay, well, let's jump right in. Um, I'm going to start with Mary. Um, so to begin our conversation, how would you define a system in the context of the overall brewery as a small business? And what is the importance of establishing daily, weekly, and monthly systems to the health of the business? That's an interesting question. Um, there really is two different types of systems. One is physical, taking a malt bag and putting it in into the grist mill. And then there's the accountant that says, oh, that's not necessarily a bag of malt anymore. It's the beginning part of beer. Um, when you take a look at how to, how to organize your business, you want you need to understand that there is a physical world and there is a virtual world. And I think Ethan's gonna is a master at understanding how to make the physical world work. I am I am on the virtual side because it's really hard to measure what physicality is doing unless you have the virtual side to be able to look at the numbers. Uh, and how what is the importance of establishing daily, weekly, and monthly systems? You don't know where you are unless you have systems you can trust. One of the things about systems is that you have to have processes that, that are repeatable and that are something that you can measure. Otherwise, you don't know how you're doing. It's very common to take an artistic approach when it comes to brewing to say, hey, I'm just going to make beer and people are going to show up and they're going to drink it and it's going to be awesome. And you know what? That is possible. But most of the people that are in the business now need to have some understanding of the number side of things in order to track what's what's going on and to make good decisions going forward. Agreed. Okay. Uh, Ethan, on the production side of the brewing business, what kinds of systems do you find the most important to establish and maintain on a daily or weekly basis? And can some of these systems be handwritten, clipboard, or journal-based systems for startup breweries? You know, folks who don't necessarily have the, the funds to pay for the expensive software <laughs> that is available. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think that um, from uh, a production standpoint, uh, I would agree with what Mary brought up that, you know, you have a very physical portion of it, and then you can have a very virtual portion of it. And I think that when it comes to production operations, you know, certainly prior to uh, my departure from Cigar City uh, and then joining, you know, operations for uh, a dietary supplement company uh, to get me back to Colorado, uh, it was very, very uh, illuminating to see that, you know, not necessarily that, you know, you could use the same hammer to, to fix all of your problems across the board in, in a production environment. But there is a kernel of truth to that in, in the sense that in the production world, I would say that your systems really have to be broken down, not just into something that's very physical and something that's very virtual, but also looking at, you know, the virtual part of it being also, um, I guess you could say just a behavioral component as well. So yeah, on like a weekly, a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, yeah, you want to have a back end uh, where you're constantly recording data, where you're constantly recording and journaling and taking notes as to what is going on in terms of the operations of the brewery. You want to make sure that you have some kind of uh, trackability and traceability so that when things go wrong, or more importantly, when things go right, you have an ability to fall back on that. And you can have that as paper, you can have that on a clipboard, you can put it into an Excel spreadsheet. 
there's a whole variety of different project management software that actually is reasonably applicable. You can sign up for your free Asana software or Notion uh, IO or, or the like. Anything that gives you an ability to store that and have that contemporaneously. But it also is just as easy as, yes, having those clipboards and putting them and hanging them next to your tanks and you know being able to follow it that way. But I think one of the things that really is lost on a lot of brewers actually is the behavioral component, which is that you need to be very meticulous. You know, Mary brought up the, the idea that people just want to go in and brew this beautiful beer and people will just come. If you brew it, they will drink that. That idea, right, is, is romantic. But in, in reality, operationally, when you're producing beer, it needs to be done meticulously. It needs to be very detail oriented. And to that end, you need to start adopting very early things like optimizing your workflow. And it doesn't need to be super complicated. We don't have to go eyeballs deep directly into a lean production environment or CGMP environment. But certainly, it's a good idea to look at things from a standardized standpoint, at least something as simple as like 5S. Even if people don't understand what the 5S system is, the idea of things having a place and being in their place, standard locations for tools and raw materials or whatever it may be, and sticking to that to make sure that everything is you know, repeatable, you can replicate everything, you know exactly uh, what is going on in your production environment. And as long as you check in on that weekly, monthly, yearly, daily basis against all of those markers, then you know either behaviorally, systemically, you know, physically, then uh, you have multiple systems that are redundant that that back you up that that optimize what you're doing physically. Laura, would you remind us what the five S's are, Ethan? Oh Lord, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> there's uh, sort, shine, uh, sustain. Oh man. I'm going to have to look this up now. I can't okay. remember all the five S's exactly off uh, the top of my, my head, but functionally the easiest way to think about it is you want to make sure that your environment is always clean. You want to make sure your environment is always um, polished, I guess you could say, because if you're always cleaning, you're always looking at things. You're always keeping things and maintaining, you know, the integrity of the tools of the place of, of everything that you're working with. And by cleaning constantly, right, which is the shine part of 5S, that allows you to notice when things are a little bit off. It's almost like preventative maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're constantly going to the same spot to get the same assets to make your block and bleed day in and day out, hour after hour, and you're always cleaning them, you, you will immediately notice, right, that EPDM gasket, this is bad. This is looking not so great. Time to replace it. You can catch that early before you run into things like a potential cross-contamination or an infection of the beer, right? Mm. So then there's also, you know, sorting things. Everything should be sorted, right? Don't leave things in messy piles that are disorganized. If everything is sorted, right, then you know exactly where it should live. And if it's not there, you know you have a problem, you know, that it's missing or, or it's being used someplace, right? There's no running around the brewery for 45 minutes trying to find a butterfly valve that eventually you realize, oh, it, it's being used in someone else's block and bleed. Like I just spent 45 minutes, you know, searching for it for nothing. Um, standardize. That's another one. You want everything to be standardized. So whether it's like a location code or a serial number or whatever process you have to standardize everything, both processes and also uh, standardizing locations and having a rigorous system that allows you to have control and standards that you can fall back on is important because not only, again, do you, do you have that to fall back on and very quickly recognize on a visual basis, for example, using colors to standardize where things are and mark things with color so that visual management is immediate. It also means then that if it's standardized, the next hire that you have in terms of your personnel can be rapidly onboarded and integrated into the system with the least amount of resistance, if that makes sense. Um, so, this also means like everything, once you have those things in place, you need to set everything in order, right? Not only do you standardize, clean, sort everything, then 
you can set everything in order and then begin to outline, um, not necessarily in a static way, right? These are, these are dynamic things. You can set in order all of those processes as well. And then you have, for example, you have your SLPs then, standard operating you know, protocols or practices or procedures, right? Um, and then the last one would be just to sustain, right? Do this over and over and over again. Make it something that is, you know, reflexive and, and, and you know, critical. You don't necessarily need to know every S, right? You know, I certainly don't constantly remind myself what each S is. You know, that's what posters throughout the, the operation is for. But really, it's it, the mindset is what's really important, right? The same way that in, in you know, startup breweries or startup businesses of any kind, uh, anything that has, you know, uh, an operational component to it, there's this notion, right, of having agility. And what does that mean to, to be agile, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that your production is nimble and you can pivot on a dime necessarily, but it also means that there's an, an ethos, right, to it, a set of values and philosophy that, that we try to ingrain in ourselves to be able to have that capacity. Excellent. Okay. Nancy, moving on to you. Uh, when thinking about the front of the house, with a tasting room, tap room, or brew pub, what kinds of systems and tracking should owners and managers be establishing to run this part of the business? Um, well, I love that Mary started us off by kind of dividing up the virtual and the physical. Um, and in the tap room, the, the physical or what you would think of as that is, is your service experience. And one of the things that I've seen um, I guess it would be the bad advice that I've seen people receive when they're starting a business is, oh, when you go select your point of house or your point of service um, for your tap room, make sure that you get the cheapest credit card processing rates. They tell them that's the most important thing, those cheap credit card processing rates. The reality is, is that point of sale um, that you have in the establishment dictates how you're able to serve your your customers. And it's super, super, super important that you make the right decision. Um, very often, again, people wait till the last minute, they buy the cheapest system, and now their service staff is unable to provide quality service because they're constantly dealing with the technology. So really thinking through what technology is going to run your taproom is super important. Um, it's a decision you need to make early. It's a decision that you make along with how is the space going to be laid out, right? How are people going to execute on ordering and buying and things like that? So all of this stuff should be taken very seriously. And these are decisions that should be made um, in conjunction with whoever's going to be running that front of house experience. So super important there. The other piece is far too many times I've seen folks set up their systems in the tap room or tasting room in such a way that they're not actually able to get the data out that's going to be useful. So it's super important that you know what's happening, that you know when people are spending, what times of day, so that you can properly staff and not overspend on staffing or underspend on staffing and create bad service. So in the early stages of building a business, taking those sorts of decisions too lightly can really cost you once you're up and running. So Again, just to reiterate, I think the, the critical pieces are, how do we want to run our service? How do we want that experience to feel? And how does the technology support that? And then the other piece is, how do we actually, what data is going to be important to us as we grow and as we manage our business to be able to make smart financial decisions going forward? Laura? Um, Taproom-wise, Nancy, in, in terms of of figuring out how things are going to work from day to day. Um, there's a there's a menu component and maybe a line cleaning component and maybe like glassware and that kind of stuff. How do you see those systems fitting in, in terms of, is that part of your POS decision? Um, is, or are they kind of individual systems? Like your inventory is going to happen in each different area and like Mary would need all of that, um, but specific to tap rooms. Yeah, so um, sorry, what I was referring to specifically was the point of sale when I was making those conversations. And the point of sale is where you are going to manage things like your menu, um, things like that. But your inventory is going to be managed by your inventory system. So most, for a lot of folks in the early stages, that might be a spreadsheet, right? 
keeping up with um, things like glassware and how much do we need and when do we reorder and things like that. Um, financial systems often have some sort of inventory management piece and um, Mary could probably speak a little bit more to that in terms of what tools she's seen people use, but um, the, the, the systems that you're gonna use in the tap room um, are gonna manage things like your menu, your pricing, um, your quantities, your tipping, your tax, <laughs> um, how you implement tax within your systems. Um, what tipping system do you wanna use? What sort of or discounts and offers are you gonna make available? If you're gonna have something like a membership program or a loyalty program, uh, making sure, I can't tell you how many times I've seen folks with like card decks or little, I don't know if you all have seen them, the little boxes they keep behind the bar that list all of their members and then they have to cross off when they buy things. Um, that becomes a very cumbersome process as your organization grows. So thinking through those sorts of things, like what's going to happen in the tap room is super important when you're choosing the technology. Things like glassware, that's that's not going to be managed from within the tap room. That's typically someone outside of the tap room that's managing that ordering versus your in tap room staff. So that would be a GM, an operations manager, something like that that's doing that. Or if you're really small yourself, you're going to be doing that. Um, but putting that into the system with what's happening on the tap room floor is probably not, it's not going to work super well. And it's not a great idea to manage those things within your tap room system. Is that true of manual menus and updates, those kinds of things? No, the manual menus and updates you want to do within your point of sale. And honestly, it's in an ideal world, um, anywhere you want to submit those menus would talk to the point of sale. So if you've got an integration to a digital menu, so you're not having to update menus on a regular basis, that's not always feasible. But when it is feasible, it's really nice to only have one place that you have to manage your menu. Um, it, it definitely, if you become a super large, busy tap room, having to update those things frequently can get quite stressful. Um, you also, that, that's a really good point too, that I hadn't even thought about. Um, when you're, you need your staff, particularly in a tap room to be able to 86 items off the menu. And what I mean by that is, um, when you run out of a beer, you don't want your staff to have to run around telling each other that they've run out of a beer. You wanna make sure that your staff on the floor have the ability to update what's for sale and what isn't. Um, if they don't have that ability, then you're gonna have a whole, a whole lot of service problems as a result. Mary? Yeah, uh, that struck me. I, I was thinking that tap rooms um, don't stop at five o'clock on Friday. In fact, they probably get started at five o'clock on Friday. So whoever's managing your tap room has to have the ability to interact with the accounting system to say whether or not something's been 86 and put something else on. So your tap room managers, although they're, they're not naturally inclined to, to do accounting work, it's very important that they're part of that process and they let the rest of the system know when, when a beer 86 or when a new one comes on. Gotcha. Yeah, one thing that actually I wanted to mention um, kind of in conjunction with all three of these areas is just a reminder that there's going to be reporting both on the sales side and the brewing side that you're going to have to do to the TTB, which is the federal alcohol agency, as well as your state. Um, and you want to make sure that you have the ability to get that data you need for reporting from these systems as well, as well as what Nancy was saying about the information to make better decisions you also want to be able to report what you need to. And actually, and I'm in California, so we also have like a recycling um, reporting based on number of cans, uh, number of bottles. And I know more states are jumping onto that. So you kind of want to be aware of all the different reporting you're going to need to do. I'm sure that would kind of help in going and making some of those uh, decisions of, of what's going to provide it for you. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move on back to Mary. So in general, whoever maintains the daily books is viewed as central to all systems in terms of creating and maintaining a complete and accurate financial picture, pulling in the information from each of the other primary areas of the business. What is your advice about coordinating with that person and or the owners to ensure that the information flow is complete and accurate? 
Talk about a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is always going to be a conflict between the need for information and your ability to pay somebody to get the information for you. Um, and I think that that's one of the most important decisions that needs to be made as you are putting your brewery together. How are your systems going to work? And how are you going to make sure that the virtual world, get this, shines, standardized, and sustains? <laughs> I, thought, I had never heard of the five S's before, but I was like, this is perfect. How do you, <laughs> how do you make that happen? Um, one comment I will make, though, is that usually owners are really good at one thing. And the strongest companies have more than one owner in the business. And usually it, it splits between the operations person and the business person. And they have their own kind of uh, worlds that they're, they're good at. And hopefully they get along together and don't want to divorce. If you are one owner and you say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to have like a five barrel system and I'm going to um, I'm going to brew once a week and I can do it all. Usually what happens is the virtual side gets forgotten because the physical staring at you. Right. You know, you're going to make beer um, and you're going to have people drink it. That's awesome. But if you don't have this other side working you have no idea what you're doing and what happens what happens is is that you end up with magical thinking thinking oh things are fine or i don't want to look at the books um when i start working with an owner they're either naturally like oh my goodness i can't do anything unless the unless the books make sense or i don't want to look at it because it's 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 numbers and numbers are scary i'm going to say this once and i'm going to say it every single time that i have the opportunity if you have control and ownership in a business, you must understand the virtual side of things. You cannot give it to a bookkeeper. You cannot spend $3,000 a month to give it to a CPA firm. You must understand what the income statement is telling you and what the balance sheet is telling you because only you have the ability to change what happens in a business. So if you give that right off to somebody who doesn't have a right to change things, which, mean, which means that somebody can find something wrong. And what, a lot of what the five S's is trying to say is make it standardized, make it clean, make it sustainable so that if something is out of normal process, then you can fix it before something big happens. And this is exactly the way it works in, in the virtual world. If you keep your bank feed up to date, you close your books on a regular basis and you look at financials every single month, you're going to see if something is out of, uh, is out of business. Um, and I had one more point when it comes to this, whoever maintains the daily books. Um, there is a discussion about what is daily books and how does daily books work? A lot of times when people get started, they get, they get into the romance of making beer and I've had people come to me a year, two years after they've opened their, their business to say, hey, I need to do my tax return. How do I do it? So I'm going to stress to, to the people that are reading to this podcast, as you are organizing your physical brewery, you are also organizing your virtual accounting system and that you start from the beginning to make it clean to standardize it and keep it going on a regular basis and understand what it says. That's important. Got it. Awesome. Okay, Ethan. Oftentimes brewers bring their home brewing software and or record keeping practices with them to a new brewery. What are the positive and not so positive aspects to this utilization of software and systems not designed for commercial or professional scale production? I'd actually point out that when it comes to things like recipe building or looking at formulation, a lot of stuff that home brewers have access to now is almost, if not identical, or uh, already been translated over to a professional environment. So things like Brewer's Friend, where people say, oh, Brewer's Friend, that's not going to be, you know, that's going to not going to be amenable to a commercial scale. Actually, it is if, if you know what information you're punching into it, you know. Um, some of the discontinued stuff, like I believe, you know, MASH is is not developed anymore, but a lot of that original code was there put in uh, to, to accommodate, right, professional brewery. But while it's great that you can have that at your fingertips and you can even have it online, it does actually, from an operational standpoint, it kind of cuts both ways. 
yes, you have that software. Yes, you can have free level software for that. But the problem becomes that, you know, one of the things that I see all the time is that it, it's awesome to, to have this library of data and to be able to build your formulas like that. Uh, it's another to actually physically go out there and brew it on a commercial scale, right? It, it does not behoove anybody to start as a home brewer and think that everything just gets bigger when you get to a production environment because it doesn't. Uh, literally, the chemistry of it doesn't work. And from a financial aspect, uh, why are you buying a 55-pound bag of malt uh, where you're going to brew five barrels and add in eight ounces? That makes no sense, right? <laughs> it, it, you, you have to face the harsh reality that when you're in a production environment, nobody wants to maintain 16 different strains of yeast. That's, that's unwieldy, and it leads to cross-contamination, cross-pitching that you don't intend, right? Loss of... Uh, of uh, fidelity of the system, really, when you think about it. Um, yeah, it, it, it sometimes can undermine you know, a lot of your process and, and formulation development work when you have almost like an information overload. It's a great tool, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that yeah, it's going to work perfectly. No one is going to go do preventative maintenance with, you know, a 1500 piece toolkit when really what you need is is an industrial sized crescent wrench maybe an impact drill hammer things like that right you don't necessarily need to to cultivate or or grab like these very boutique metric system or very very specific torque wrenches that you know the software is the same way it's great to have it it's great to have all of that at your disposal but you'll find that for the most part yeah there's a reason why most brewers and terms of actual physical practice um we may not necessarily think chico is the great great yeast on on the planet but it it does the job if you want to make ale so yeah a bit of a, a, a digression but you know it very much is that way there's free software for you out there you know to, to use in your professional setting which is great that you can also use as homebrewers and many people do use as homebrewers but it's dangerous to take that into a professional setting with the exact same mindset that you had before, right? I'm sure Mary will agree that, you know, we all play a little bit fast and loose with our own, you know, personal finances sometimes because we want to treat ourselves to something, treat yourself. But no, no one should ever do that when they get to their professional brewery. Right? No one, no one decides this is great. You know, let, let, let's treat ourselves to a $10,000 CapEx and, We'll just make it work somehow next month. Right? That kind of, of you know, magical thinking isn't isn't going to get anyone anywhere in a professional setting. But you know, as long as we have the same tools at our disposal at an individual level, at the homebrew or, or or quirky level, right? And if they're the same tools, we what we really need to do is just change our mindset. Right? That's the big downfall. It, the not so amazing part is that oftentimes that doesn't happen. Gotcha, Barry. Do you have a, something you want to add? You know, when when brewers start, they're used to they are used to using homebrew tools. The question comes into beer costing. So the what I see is professional brewers using the homebrew software to understand recipes and costs. Now there's scaling up that you have to deal with. Um, it used to be anybody who was opening a brewery, I'd like buy brewery software right away, start tracking your inventory, start understanding what's going on. Well, the cost of these things are, are, are just astronomical now. And the economics are such a way that I have a hard time telling a brewery, go ahead and spend 500 bucks a month. That's a lot of money for a system that you're going to have to maintain. So I think the, the, the real question comes into how are you going to understand beer costing and what's the best way to do it within the time, within the constraints, the economic constraints that you have. It's a much more complex answer than what it was three years ago. Used to be you could find brewery software for $100 a month and now it's close to $500 a month. That's a lot for for uh, a small brewery to manage, because not only do you have to pay for the software, you are a slave to the software. 
So everything that moves in the physical world must also move in the virtual world. So if you're prepared to do both sides, you'll get a lot of information. It's a nice way to run your brewery. It's just the, the, the virtual costs and the physical costs are very high. And I find that the smaller folks have to kind of catch as catch can as far as beer costing is concerned. Once you're above the three to 5,000 barrel range and you have a production brewery that, that, that there's a market for your beer, I think absolutely you should go onto a system. And as your, as your barrelage goes up, you're gonna need more and more of a complex system. The real issue is you have then, even at the smartest startup brewery, you have needs for lots of different types of work. As the barrelage goes up, that work gets more complex. So the owners say, hey, I'll do it, no problem. But as you end up putting more liquid through, you need more specific experience. And that's why you usually need to hire uh, professionals for that and that costs money. Got it. Okay, we're gonna take a short break here for our sponsor message. Have you heard of Harvest Hosts? Brewery owners offer up a space for RVers to park for the night. In exchange, the Harvest Host member patronizes your business. All members have self-contained RVs, so no hookups or water are required from a host. There's no cost to become a host, and you keep all the money spent on-site. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts for more information. Okay. Um, Nancy, let's switch back to you. One of the most obvious decisions to make about a brewery or any small business is how to track sales. What kinds of options should people consider when thinking through this? And further, are there customer service related criteria that should also be considered at the same time? You bet. Um, and I, you know, I love data. I'm a little bit of a data nerd, um, but I have to be really careful not to say you should track this data without also saying why it matters. So that that's a little bit of what I'll give you. Um, um, Candace mentioned earlier, which is important. There's gonna be reporting requirements period, right? You need to know what those are and you need to make sure that you have the data to do that. That's just sort of the, the cost of doing business. It's not sexy, it's not fun, but you gotta do it. So understand what you're gonna have to report, make sure that whatever you're doing, you have the detail that you need to submit those reports. Um, but there's a whole lot of other reasons that you might need um, to be looking at data, that you might need to be reporting sales differently. Um, one of the first is just knowing which beers are selling at what sizes, and when. So how quickly are we going through, um, you know, an IPA versus a sour? What sort of timing? Because that information can actually influence your production cycles um, and help you from getting behind and also help you from running out of beer. Um, you don't want to run out of beer on the taproom floor. Um, so having that communication back and forth about what's selling and how quickly is something you need to start tracking, I think, right off the bat. Um, to manage those production cycles better. Um, also, there's it's fun to know if your system can give you this data, um, what time of day people drink different products. Um, when you go to distribution, this is great information to be able to, to give to your distributor, right? This is a great lunchtime beer. So let's really lean in on, um, you know, cafeterias and things like that where they're selling lunchtime products. Um, that's information that's fun to have. It's not as critical, but um, it does actually help influence some of um, your selling and buying decisions. Um, on the taproom floor, I think it's really great to be able to see who sells. This is a little bit more, um, you know, some people think this is worth it from a data standpoint, others don't. You see a lot of tap rooms where they'll have like a single login for all staff. And then you don't have the ability to get down to who's selling what, who's selling the most to-go beer, um, who's getting you know, the highest tab size on our staff. The benefit of doing that, the benefit of knowing who is selling is then you can really lean into those staff members and help them up-level your whole team. So the better your team is at sort of knowing how to upsell, knowing how to grow, um, the better your business is going to do. And you're not going to know who those people is, who they are. I mean, you might if you're there and you're walking around, but the data usually tells the best story in terms of what's selling when. Um, and then another one that I'll bring in is lost. So um, you're not going to sell every ounce of beer that's in the kegs. Um, there's going to be loss. That loss sometimes is just line cleaning. Sometimes it spills. Sometimes it's people not liking the beer that they ordered. 
and wanting to try something else. Sometimes it's your staff pouring beer that you can't track. Um, so setting up your systems to report the different types of loss. So having, you know, discount codes where the staff can plug in, you know, this is a spill or, or whatever they need to do is going to help you really understand where loss is happening and manage that better. So I think that's another place where really understanding what's happening on the sales side is important. I'm sure there's Got more, it. but I could talk about data all day, <laughs> but that, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, back to Mary. We're just going to keep moving around. How essential is technology to creating reliable and effective financial systems? Do you need elaborate integrate integrated computer systems or can something as basic as the cell spreadsheets and a cash register work? The problem with Excel spreadsheets and cash registers is that it's hard to come up with a total. I had, I had uh, some work last week where somebody gave me a paper ledger and it took me 45 minutes just to add up the numbers to understand what the heck was, was being said. If you use a computer system, then a lot of that work is done for you. The problem is, is that the, the professional brewing software is, I think, out of the reach of startup breweries. So what systems can you use to get some idea of an understanding of what you have and um, how you're doing? I would argue that there is the ability to have some sort of basic accounting software matched with a bank feed. So you at least understand the money. It's kind of like, where, where does the buck stop? The buck is, is always going to stop with money. The issue is, is it's not going to give you a good understanding of beer cost, whereas um, uh, professional brewing systems will give you beer cost, but there's a high cost in terms of dollars and in terms of people and in terms of standardization and sustaining to make sure that it's, that it's giving you the right kind of information. Um, it also depends on who you are as an owner. There are some people like me, like if I owned a brewery, I would get brewing software from day one because I wouldn't trust that anything was done right unless the numbers made sense to me. But there are other owners that that look at things in a different way. So you kind of have to understand what helps you sleep at night because whatever system you have, make sure you understand it. Make sure that you understand where you're going with your business. Make sure that you understand what the direction is and what you're forecasting to do. It is easier in an integrated computer system. It just costs money. So that trade-off of, of of gold and blood, sweat, and tears is important. That if that if you do jump into an integrated computer system, that you keep it sustainable, and that you have enough people to do the right things. And so, like that's why I was sort of saying earlier that there's a startup phase that's you know an under three thousand barrel. That's a different look than a three to five thousand barrel brewery and then a five to ten thousand barrel brewery and then you know above ten thousand you're at a whole different kettle of fish but um whatever you do however you do it the ownership team the people who have the ability to vote shares has has to understand what's happening and has to be happy with it got it yeah I, i've definitely seen i i think the danger to startups and to smaller breweries is that as they grow, they don't think to implement new systems for the new size they are. I mean, oh, I, I still remember what, what, yeah, one of my biggest clients was selling nationally and still using QuickBooks. <laughs> I was like, um, well, I think at this point. That. You can do that as long as you have all the other bases covered. The problem is, is that there isn't a mid solution that's not a huge, I mean, to, 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 in order to, to have an integrated system at that level, you're going to spend sixty thousand dollars a year. That's just the that's just the cash cost. Now you have the person cost to keep everything moving. So it is a big nut to go to break out of QuickBooks, and it's a and it's and it's a hard thing to do. So um, it, it it is more difficult than it was you know four years ago because there was an easy answer, and it's just it doesn't exist as it is today. But, um, you know, hopefully you have the problem of growing out of your initial initial lifespan. And I always thought that I was going to write a book to say, OK, here you are at age two. This is what you should look like at age five. You should look like this. But it, it is so different now. And it's all dependent on what you want to do. Do you primarily want to be a taproom? 
do you primarily want to be able to do distribution and have your beer everywhere? So those, what, however you end up doing this, make sure that you have the ability to track what's happening. And here's the biggest, here's the biggest secret. If you, if you remember one thing from this podcast, under, you need to understand what should be the, the steady case. What, what, what should you expect to happen? And if it doesn't happen, you have to find out soon enough so that you can course correct, either to the good or to the bad. So Candace's case is what happens when you get really successful? How are you going to track the very the various things that can that can go wrong so that you can change the very the variance to standard? It's it's a common idea in manufacturing and, and it is really applicable here. Uh, Nancy, did you want to add something? I did. Uh, Mary made a, a comment briefly that I just want to emphasize. Um, regarding understanding the systems you have, um, I think that's more important than what systems you have, right? I, I very often see folks get sold on products um, that they don't truly understand the value of, and you can spend a lot of money on things um, and not get the value out of them. So it's better, I think, to spend less money on a lighter weight system that you understand and comprehend um, and can consistently utilize. Um, data is only good if you have the data in the system and the system's not gonna do that for you. So I just wanted to emphasize that because I thought it was such a great point to really make sure you understand the systems you have. Mary? And that you fully implement the system. It's not enough to buy the, the, the shiny tool you have to understand the ins and outs of it. And one of the worst mistakes I see all the time is the owner says, I'm just going to go make beer. Here, you 25-year-old bookkeeper, you put in the accounting system because it just needs to happen. No, whoever has the, de the decision-making ability has to understand what it does and they have to make sure that it's fully implemented and it is fully sustained. Because you know what? You lose employees all the time. How are you going to make sure that your system will outlast your employees? Got it. Um, Ethan, in your experience, what are the strengths and weaknesses of using automated systems or software to run the brewing processes, QA, QC, track inventory, and in some cases be integrated with accounting systems and report automatically? Uh, I think that, you know, just based on everything that Mary and Nancy have already brought up, I think it should be pretty obvious. You know, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, but you know, it, it's it's great to have automation. It's phenomenal to have automation. If you get to a size where you can have like a decent ERP, right, be it NetSuite or um, orchestrated beer or you know beer run, whatever it may be, whatever your software package is, especially if you get to a size where like you're using NetSuite, phenomenal. That's amazing. Uh, first off, pat yourself on the back. You, you did it. You have an ERP. You're a big brewery now. <laughs> but um, the biggest strength of, of automation is that it frees you to think about, you know, apropos to what Nancy likes, you know, it frees you up to look at data, to look at hard numbers and really spend the time to optimize because you no longer, right, are having to wonder, is it, are my ferments over the last month trending correctly? What is, you know, the viability of the yeast? It gives you predictive capacity. The biggest downfall of automation is that, uh, and I see this quite a bit, um, is that it, it basically makes your brewers um, robots. They just turn their brain off uh, because software does it so i don't have to think about it but the harsh reality is the software does do it but you have to think even more about it because if you are not rigorous with it if you don't understand what that automation really is liberating you from then you fall into many many traps a, a good example of it right uh and again, I'm sure Mary and Nancy will probably have a variety of examples along the same mode, but even something as simple as inventory control and raw material management. If you have software that basically just says, cool, awesome, it just, it, you punch in an amount, 
you bought a certain amount, it goes up in a number by a certain amount. And you say that you brewed beer and it goes down by a certain amount. You just functionally stop thinking about your inventory level. Whatever that number is should be the inventory you have. But in reality, there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong, right? What's the resolution of your scale? Can you weigh down to, you know, one kilo of malt accurately or one pound of malt accurately? Is your brewer getting every last bit out of that bag? Probably not. Do they spill stuff all the time? Are they recording it? Never recording it, really, <laughs> right? So even just simple things like inventory, counting your inventory. Some places don't, like I, I've brought up, you know, what is your weekly cycle count for your inventory? And then just like the very blank stare, like just club them over the back of the head with something. Uh, and that thing is, is inventory and, and inventory control, right? You, you, if, you're, if you rely on the ERP even to do that for you, right? Even in my day-to-day -day where uh, I have the full power of NetSuite at my disposal, I still have, you know, twice a week, team members going out doing random directed inventory counts because I have to know how accurate is that software? How accurate is my data? Right. And more often than not, in any kind of production setting, uh, your, your data is pretty good, right? I find it very difficult when anyone says, oh, I, we're always spot on, on on our inventory. Usually the, the, the reality is your inventory numbers are really good and you're spot on with your inventory because you've been doing things frequently enough that you can tell when you have these little hidden losses or you're writing off certain things uh, out of the actual you know, indented uh, cost of, of your product because you know that you need to balance these things in different accountings, right? In different GNLs. So, you know, it, it's, it's all, you know, part and parcel of, of uh, the risk, right? If you don't understand thoroughly what that software or that automation uh, process is, then you, you just are blind to all of the additional new problems that that, that automation affords you, right? But hopefully, you know, the hope is that liberating you from some of the more onerous things right, uh, gives you the time to be more vigilant. The, 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 the terrible thing is, is more often than not, most people aren't. They become less vigilant over time. Got it. Mary, did you want to add something? Yes. Um, when you're dealing with automated systems, the one of the biggest benefits I see is that you have uh, a, a, a system, a, a symbolic representation of your physical world inside a virtual world. And, and what Ethan is saying is that you need to make sure that your physical world and your virtual world are in sync. And when they're in sync, your people can trust the, the the screens. And if they trust the screens, they spend a lot less time trying to make sure what reality is or is not. If you don't have a virtual system, you've got to go out and count everything on your own before you do any kind of purchase order. So the more, the, the, the more and better maintained automated system you have, the more the more it's going to set expectation for you and it's going to show anything out out of expectation which means you can go fix problems and there's a lot of power in that great okay we got time for one more question so nancy i'm going to hit you up and then i think we're gonna have to wrap this up um how can other areas of sales potentially be integrated with taproom software systems, such as website sales and merge, to-go orders, delivery orders, and possibly stretching as far as self-distribution invoicing? And do QR codes for ordering come into play in any way here? Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> um, that's a loaded question. There's a lot. There's a lot <laughs> in there to unpack, but. Oh. Um, one of the one of the things I'll start with, um, just to follow up with a little bit of what Ethan was saying, um, there's integrated is a is a term that I'm a little bit afraid of sometimes um, because I think sometimes the assumption is, oh, my two systems are integrated, therefore this is all just going to work. Um, and the reality is, is that every integration requires effort. It requires babysitting. It requires checking the data, making sure things are mapped properly, um, things like that. So I do want to caution a little bit not to get too hung up on having integrated systems. Um, there are places where they can really benefit you. 
And there are places where they can actually, in some cases, be a hindrance. So one example I'll give of that, um, you can have integrated online stores to your point of sale. The benefit of that is that you, your inventory is depleting from one place. So if you're selling something online and selling that thing on premise, um, it's one inventory. And so when it runs out, everybody knows. Everything is, is integrated at the same time. Um, but that might not be the most important decision that you need to make for efficiently running your tap room, right? So an integrated system might not give you the tools you need in the tap room. And maybe you're only selling, you know, 10 items online a week. If you're only selling 10 items online a week, you can just delete that inventory at the end of the day, go in and say, I sold two online. And now your inventory is matched which is easier than making sure there's all this flow. So you're going to be making decisions like that a lot of the time. It's like, how critical is it that this data be flowing back and forth between multiple places? Um, and am I, am I paying for that elsewhere because I'm not actually getting the benefit of the individual tools because I focus too much on integration? So that's just sort of a, a point of questioning that I always like folks to focus on. Uh, QR codes to get to that question. Um, QR codes, I did a little talk years ago on demystifying QR codes. They're just web links, right? It's a link to your online system. Um, and those QR codes should be, so one thing I have seen folks do that I don't recommend is using a QR code ordering system in their establishment that is separate from their point of sale system. The reason for that is now you're depleting inventory from two different places in one room. Right. So you've got an online inventory system, you've got an on-premise inventory system, and they're depleting from two different places. You're also going to have two different sales reports to reconcile at the end of every night. You're going to have different tipping um, reports to reconcile at the end of every night. So don't do that. Make sure that the QR code ordering system is part of your point of sale. That's just, I don't really think it can work any other way. So I think that's super critical. Um, what were the other, you mentioned online sales, QR codes. Um, oh, you said self-distribution. Um, I don't think self-distribution needs to be integrated with your taproom system because you're dealing in different quantities. So you're, you're selling in ounces in the taproom floor. You're selling in barrels in production. Those are different quantities. Um, one thing that I do typically recommend folks do is treat their taproom as a distribution site. So we sold these, I put air quotes, but we sold these um, barrels to the tap room and now they're in the tap room. So you've got an integrated inventory system that's managing those barrel sizes, but then report your um, ounces and depletions in the tap room separate. It's gonna be easier for your accounting side too um, to reconcile these numbers if you do it that way. So I don't think that's a place where you really need um, that integration. I think, I think I covered all of the items you asked. If I missed you one, did. let me know. Okay. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, I know we could go into much more detail, but we are basically out of time. So thank you everyone for all your amazing information. And I'm going to throw it to Laura to wrap us up. Awesome. Yes. I'll, I'll echo that as well. I think I'm a big systems fan and I've been working with a brewery to establish the systems just for that daily accountability. And it's really good to hear about what's important and, and how important automation can or, or may not need to be in, in the process, especially as you start up. So a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us now and in the future for episode 16, Operational Strategy One, Systems of the Start a Brewery podcast. We invite you to join us for our next episode, 17, which could take us further into operational strategies with part two, focusing on the people component, or we may digress into setting goals. So stay tuned to find out. This new episode will be released on the very first moment beyond Monday on Tuesday, August 15th. We have a final wrap-up word from our sponsor. Ready to earn additional revenue by offering up a flat parking space? Signing up with Harvest Hosts is a slam dunkle. The sign-up process is simple, and you can start accepting RVers within a week. There is no cost to be a host, and no hookups are required to get started. Hosts can accept or deny stay requests using text or email, control the number and size of RVs, and manage their own calendar of availability. Visit harvesthosts.com forward slash hosts 
or reach their team at listings at harvesthosts.com. While you're anticipating the release of our next episode, feel free to visit the Startup Brewery website at startupbrewery.com, a free resource for those looking to open or grow their breweries. Be sure to look through the task lists offered for each stage of the process, plan, act, open, and grow at the educational resources and at the offerings from our savvy contributors in our growing library. You can also sign up for an occasional electronic update with new Startup Brewery contributors, content, events, and more great information on the contact page of the website. We also encourage you to explore the All About Beer website at allaboutbeer.com. Perhaps pop in to enjoy one of their excellent podcasts as well. In the meantime, this has been Laura Lodge and Candace Moon wishing you a terrific day and thanking you once again for joining us on our podcast journey to start a brewery.